inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow, gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground, inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rains come tumbling down. Yes, KSQD listeners, it's every other Sunday again, and we can see for miles and miles again as well. This is Ronnie Lipschitz. You're listening to Sustainability Now, a radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. I'm pleased to welcome my guests today, Miria Gomez-Contreras and Anna Rasmussen. They're both co-directors of Esperanza Community Farms in Pajaro Valley. Uh, Esperanza Community Farms is a system-changing, sustainable community agriculture project focused entirely and directly on increasing food security and good health amongst low-income families from under-resourced communities in the Pajaro Valley. It's especially uh, available to immigrants and La La Latinx and indig indigenous folks who live in Pajaro Valley, providing sustainably farmed affordable produce for traditionally excluded people of limited income grown by farmer, former farm workers newly trained in organic practices. And by the way, Mireya and Anna, Anna will be taking questions during the last portion of today's show, and you can call the station at 831-900-5773 or email onair at ksqd.org. I'll repeat those uh, toward the end of the show. So welcome, welcome Mireya and Anna. Uh, I guess Hi. the best place... Hi. <laughs> uh, I guess the best place to begin is for each of you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to community farming. Oh, and be sure to identify yourselves. Okay. Okay, this is Anna Rasmussen, and... Um well, let's see. I've been a social worker in Santa Cruz a long time. Went through the UCSC Farm and Garden uh, Agricultural Horticulture Program in 2010 and uh, kind of decided to try to do some work in Watsonville with uh, making organic produce more affordable and available to families there. So we started a community garden in 2010 and started 10 community gardens over the next eight years, a program called Mesa Verde Gardens, and then some of the members of that and I co-founded Esperanza Community Farms as a way to grow organic produce for people who didn't want to cultivate it themselves and grow organic produce and get it out into the community. And uh, this is Mireya Gomez Contreras. Thank you, Ronnie, for having us on today. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm um, a, 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 into farming as much as I am into um, social equity. I mean, I, I am... Um, I identify as Chicana, and I've been living in the Pajaro Valley for um, about 30-plus years. I was born in Watsonville, but I actually was raised in Mexico from about six months old to seven years old. And when my parents brought me back, we, uh, we worked in the, in, the, in the fields picking lots of different kinds of um, fruits and vegetables, you know, everything from walnuts to cherries to to um, squash and asparagus out in the San Joaquin Valley. But the, the thing about community agriculture that I can say um, I can identify with very deeply is the community piece. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a social uh, or I'm a grassroots community activist, and that's what I think I, that's kind of the, the unique um, thing that Anna and I as co-directors bring to Esperanza Community Farms, that we each have our unique uh, skill set and informal and formal education and talent around the work that we do. Okay, great. Well, why don't you tell us uh, exactly what Esperanza Community Farms is, okay? Yeah. Well, Esperanza Community Farms um, is a project that's um, fiscally sponsored by Second Harvest Food Bank. We we are in our third year of operation. Uh, we, uh, Anna, my co-director, Anna, co-founded the, the project in 2017, and um, she, I'll let her talk a little bit about the first couple of years, but I am proud to say that I was a member of, in the second year, and I received my CSA box, 
through Esperanza Community Farms. Um, at this point, Esperanza is a is a three acre farm that we have a we have a, we have a, a contract over with the uh, Santa Cruz County Land Trust, uh, right on the outskirts of Watsonville, um, and we farm there. And uh, we are we are a five person team. Uh, most of us part time, with the exception of our farmer who's full time. And we grow food, organic food for produce for. 105 families uh, in the Paco Valley who uh, are low-income, mostly immigrant, mostly farm-working families, and uh, they receive a box of fresh produce every two weeks, and we run our program from between May to October, um, and we're, we're really, um, we're growing in a lot of ways, but I'll let Anna talk a little bit more about the history. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we uh, so we started in 2017 on the in a big 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 backyard of a a person who knew a family that knew what we were doing and they weren't using their backyard and they said how about if you grow some food here and try to get it to people in Watsonville so one of the community gardeners who became our farmer and myself and another community gardener who became our delivery person just sort of started growing and we had 16 families that first year and we delivered the bags to them uh, again every other week the produce, and then the next year we got another piece of land um, down in on Freedom, and we were able to expand to 30 families. And then um, uh, we contacted the land trust, and uh, they offered us three acres. And uh, it's it's more uh, sustainable for us because it's a lease, and the other ones were not leases, and we weren't sure about longevity in those places, but this one's steady, and it's certified organic ground, which is really cool, and um, uh, yeah. Um, was was yeah. the land was the land farmed previously? Yep, it has been farmed uh, right before us uh, for about five years by a very experienced local organic farmer. Uh, okay, so, so that's it's, why, it yeah. was well taken care of. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and just where is it located? Just so we know. It's a it's um at the end of Harkins Slough Road on the Land Trust lands. I believe the Land yeah. Trust uh stewards about 580 organic acres right there. So it's pretty quite, oh, you know, it's around Harkins Slough and some other sloughs. So yeah. Do you, right do you have any idea who the other farmers are then around you? Um uh well, High Ground Organics is right there and also um Tomatero doing some. There have been other farmers, but we I, I think we're kind of looking at our own soil, I have to say, so I don't know if we know all the other farmers. Yeah, sure, sure. How do families <laughs> yeah. find you, or how do you find families? Well, we're really lucky and, and blessed to be in partnership uh, with the county clinic out of Watsonville, and they invited the most of the families that are participating with the program this year. Um, we have 105 enrolled families, and all of them, all of them were invited by the, the county clinic. Um, on the one hand, you know, the clinic um, has their own, of course, set of standards and goals to meet. And uh, it's true that our families are on the diabetes to obesity spectrum. And on the other hand, they are very much, um, uh, you know, hardworking families that are, uh, I think, like a lot of us in this particular time, struggling to make a meet in a in the fifth most expensive county in the country and um, with a lot of kind of political and economic upheaval around us. So um, I think they're a representation of just, uh, you know, everyday people in Santa Cruz County who are uh, looking for a better future and looking in this particular time uh, for ways that we can, at least in our small circle of family and friends, stay grounded and stay healthy. I wanted to say something about part of the origin story, I guess, that I live in Santa Cruz and downtown and have for like 37 years, and there are about six or so organic food outlets in Santa Cruz, I mean grocery stores and all the farmer's markets where you can buy organic produce, but you can't really get that very easily in Pajaro Valley. None of the stores sell it, or maybe one, but a really limited amount. There aren't as many farmers markets, and they don't always have organic. And so I learned from the community gardeners that people wanted organic. They just could not afford it and couldn't even yeah. find it. 
I actually met quite a few people in different stores who had driven from Watsonville to Santa Cruz to be able to buy organic produce. So um, I'm I'm a social worker. I have a strong heart for social justice and equity, and it just seems there's something really wrong about this one county that at one end of it you have such a luxury of food options and healthy food, and on the other end of it people just don't have that. And I know that farmers need to make a living, and they sell it at the price that they can sell it, and that's often higher-income communities, but it doesn't mean that other people don't also want and deserve and would like to have, you know, fresh organic produce. So that underlies a lot of our our beginning. Anyway. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting, though, that, that uh, organic uh, products are so unavailable because there are quite a few small farms around Watsonville. Uh, we've been... Mm-hmm. We were actually looking at uh, compiling a list of farms, and it's pretty interesting to see who is trying to to make a go of it. Um, is it simply because there's less profit to be made? I mean, do you have have you tried to do something beyond just farming? You know, starting up uh, distribution channels, other distribution channels. Uh. I think we're our hands are pretty full uh, with yeah, what we're sure. doing this year, but I do think that's a, that could sure. become a you know, we have we have visions for much more uh, expansion and growth and deeper roots than we uh-huh. you know have uh-huh. right now. Yeah. Ronnie, uh-huh. I think this this is Mireya, and I, yeah. I I think that your question is a is is a brilliant question for this particular time. As as you well read, we we are a system changing uh, uh, project meaning that we are very much aware that there is not a single kind of answer or a simple answer to the kinds of the kind of question you just asked the we're we're really committed for a, a, for the long term in terms of the ways that we want to engage um, this the particular um, membership that we have it's a unique membership I don't this you know low-income Traditionally marginalized communities, monolingual Spanish-speaking or indigenous communities, are not your typical CSA member, and and we don't take that lightly. We we know that it's going to take time. Uh, one of the, I think, other important things to say about our project is that we we employ or we implement a, a popular education approach, meaning that we. Start from. We are driven by action. We don't. We are not a band-aid project that's going to simply deliver food and then and then remove ourselves from from the pro, the you know the social equity problems that exist in agric in the agricultural sector. Right. Um, and I mean, I, there's a lot more that I, that that I can say. Um, but it, I, I think at the very end of the day. Uh, it's going to take time, one, to build relationships, two, to understand the very complex problems that result in the kind of disparity that Anna already described, you know, with, with living in a county that is rich on one end and poor on the other, just to put it really kind of in general terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we know that we will come to a point where the, our, our very membership is going to come up with possible solutions and that our very membership will take the action to begin to change the systems um, with, with which we all interact with every day. Yeah, I, I want to come back to some of those questions a little bit later in the show. I was just starting right with the, the mechanics of the, the, the farm, okay. and, and I want to ask about the distribution system, but I need to take a break. Um, so we'll come back in just a second, okay? Uh, you're listening to KSQD, 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz, and KSQD.org, streaming on the Internet. Over to you, Emily. Thanks, Ronnie. Community Bridges is building a mobile laundry facility to help fire victims while they are in transition. The mobile laundromat will move between Felton, Bonnie Doon, and Boulder Creek, where families can come to wash and dry their clothes at no cost. Volunteers are needed to help run the facility. Community members can sign up for four-hour volunteer shifts between 9.30 and 4.30, Monday through Friday. Email info at cbridges.org with dates and times you are available, or if you have any questions. Now, back to Sustainability Now. Over to you, Ronnie. 
Okay, this is Ronnie Lipschitz. You're listening to Sustainability Now. And my guests today are Mireya Gomez-Contreras and Ana Rasmussen, co-directors of Esperanza Community Farms in uh, Pajaro. Um, so I was wondering, how, how does your distribution system operate? That was the first question. And, and the second one is, do your members actually work on the farm, or, or is it just your staff? Mm-hmm. Good questions. Uh, we're pretty lean, I have to say. Um, uh, we, uh, our farmer and uh, another uh, part-time a farmer assistant farmer uh, do most of the cultivation, the growing. Um, we, get, we have a group of volunteers and staff on uh, Mondays and Thursdays at harvest in the morning directly from the field. We drive it to uh the Pajaro uh, Incubator Kitchen under the CDC, where we're able to rent space there to uh, pack our produce and put it in the bags. There's another volunteer crew there and usually one part-time staff member. And then um, one of us, usually me, puts it in a delivery uh, car and drives it around and delivers it to, to our members one by one to their houses. So it is grown, it's harvested, uh, packed, and distributed the day it's picked. And um, uh, that's how we do it. That's how people get their shares. We have a few, a couple of really distribution sites, like one person will volunteer to have, you know, a few bags picked up at their house. But our, our main way is one by one to the, the families. How, how are the, how, how many families do you have signed up now? We have a, uh, this is Mireya. We have 105 families that were invited wow. to participate through the clinic, and we have an additional 15 families that pay what we what we call a regular amount, and it's still I think a pretty mm-hmm. very reasonable uh, amount. It's 15 dollars per share. We do ask the members to to uh, if they can to donate five dollars per bag, and some do and some don't. Sometimes sometimes some will, and next week they can't. But that's what we ask. And uh, what what comes in? Yeah. Oh, each bag is about twenty pounds. About twenty pounds of produce. People get them every other week, and um, yeah. Well, we have. Um, well, it really changes with the season, but we, you know, this week's bag had a, a large white storage onion, a couple of zucchinis, a couple of cucumbers, some purple cauliflower, about a pound and a half of tomatoes, different varieties, about a pound of peppers, different varieties, some hot chili, some sweet. Um, green beans, lettuce, corn, carrots, uh, cilantro, kale, uh, green onions. Uh, it's usually about maybe ten to twelve different things in each bag. It's, yeah. That's so it. it's a it's a it's a wide range of of produce, and, yeah. I, and I imagine I imagine that <clears throat> excuse me buying that at a at a farmer's market or a, a, in a store would would be pretty expensive. Yeah, it would be. Especially yeah. as fresh as it is. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, do you keep track of inputs and outputs uh, in the farm? You know, how much work you put in and, and materials and such and what comes out? I'm just curious about that. Um, at this point, we're not doing that. I, maybe we could say a little bit about our, our farmer. And, I mean, he, wow, we're, sure, we're new this year. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we, we've been really lucky. This is Mireya. We've been really lucky to... Um, be able to work alongside um, Guillermo Lázaro is our is our farmer, and he's I think now in his fourth year um, as a kind of a student over at Alba, which is a, a uh-huh. the agricultural yeah. land based academy in Salinas. Right. And um, you know, so he comes with a whole lot of enthusiasm and love for what it is to farm, and and uh, uh, we. Uh, we really give him kind of the reins in terms, obviously, because he's the expert in terms of what happens on the farm. But um, this is this year for him in particular. I wish we had him on to be able to say it himself. But it's been a really eye-opening experience. I think that the the, the uh, social justice justice aspect to the farm and especially organic farming has really opened up his eyes, um, and it's really opened up my eyes actually because I. I was not familiar with conventional agriculture or organic agriculture, not not in terms of the systems or the kind of, um, you know, the, I guess you, 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 you said inputs and outputs, and um, we're learning a lot together, for sure. Yeah. We, we have some, uh, well, it is, it, it is all of our first year at this very much increased scale, 
and it's different land than we had before, and it's different soil than any of us are used to. So it's been a pretty steep learning curve. And um, Guillermo's getting some support from uh, the NRCS, National Resources Conservation Services, and some other local people to help him, you know, learn more and, and keep track of the inputs and outputs. And uh, he's contacting CCOF to consider us becoming certified and, He's, mm-hmm. It's interesting. He he is a certified organic farmer, and we're mm-hmm. on certified organic land, but we aren't CCOF certified. <laughs> but anyway, so there's you know those are some of our goals to to um, well, make sure we take good like, care of the land that way. I, I asked the question not to be not to make trouble, but. Um, there's, you know, I mean, the country, the United States is, is, I don't know, I wouldn't say plagued, but characterized by the pursuit of cheap food, right? Yeah. And, and the cost of farming small, small areas of land, especially the kinds of things that you're doing, you know, exclude a lot of the, the a lot of costs. And I, I imagine this is why organic produce from small farms mm. is so expensive, um, right, and and but it's also important for people to know, you know, wh- what that what they're getting. Uh, it it seems to me, right, how much because we go to the farmers markets and complain about the prices. So those of us in the, from the from the north part of the county, I should say, um, but you know, there's a lot that's going into that, and and it seems to me that that's uh, that's why I asked the question. You know, it's again, uh, that's why I was I was wondering about that. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'll just finish up our answer to that yes, question by saying that Guillermo is, he brings up that exact point at least once a week. I mean, <laughs> his, it, it's really interesting, you know, to have a nonprofit project um, combined with community agriculture and to have it three acres of land where, I mean, unfortunately, COVID limited our ability to invite as many families as often as we wanted to, to the farm. Mm -hmm. But our farmer, Guillermo, is so committed to education. And he's very creative about the ways that he imagines in future years, starting, of course, with next year. um, Really, he talks, he he describes uh, a vision for our membership really valuing the work that goes on behind what we often um, we often hear from lots of our members and lots of our volunteers and uh, and even myself, you know, and I'm there and I see what uh, the hard work that he does. But we call it it's a beautiful farm. How beautiful! It's just so beautiful. How gorgeous! You know, how peaceful! How how abundant! And he and he sits, you know, he he stands there and appreciates that comment and. As soon as he feels enough trust, he'll begin to describe all of the behind-the-scenes work that yeah. goes into it. So you're right. I mean, a lot of the costs are not uh, shown uh, in, in the in the kind of um, a lot of the costs of the farm are not shown in the costs that we see at the store. And and when we purchase organic, that that is one of the things that we are we're paying for. Well, you know, and and again, the the fact that that large-scale food is is relatively cheap. Um, yeah. Not everywhere, but but you know, for the for the most part, right, makes everybody expect that food is going to be cheap, and mm-hmm. there's a real question. I mean, it, it also, where do you get your water, for example? Um, well, it comes out of a well that's on the land trust land, but I believe uh-huh. it's through the Pajaro Valley Water Management Association, and I, I I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's some of the recycled water that uh, the Pajaro Valley has is really? using. Um, yeah, we were looking at a map the other day. We couldn't quite see if we were in it or outside of that line, but it, it might be where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I course, wanted, go ahead. Sorry, Maria. I wanted to say um, what you were saying about the low, you know, the cheap food. And, of course, that goes right, you know, that fits right into what it is that so many, especially lower-income people, are struggling with, how diabetes or obesity or, you know, coming into so many lives to begin with because cheap food is cheap and that's what people can afford and yet it's, you know, hollow calories or worse and high carbohydrates, high sugar and, you know, it's a it's a cycle that people get into because you have to eat something, you have to feed your kids something and if you can pay, you know, 
$2, let's say, or 3 or something for organic broccoli, or you could buy, you know, a hamburger for a dollar, what are you going to do? You know, if you, if you, right. if you, what are you going to feed your family? So it's really a, a, a trap, it feels like, um, for a lot of, uh, well, that has been created by our consumer and um, capitalist culture. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was asking about the water because, again, you know, water in California is is extraordinarily cheap compared to mm-hmm. its its real value. Yep. I, and I yep. don't know yep. what you're paying for water. I'm I'm assuming it's probably more expensive than if you were, you know, out in the Central Valley. But again, yep. there are all of these subsidies, right, to large scale agriculture that yeah uh, yep. that are very political, as mm-hmm. well as mm-hmm. as you know, sort of invisible. Same, you know, the same sort of thing about what what are the costs in the long run of that invisibility? Yeah, um, yeah. We do, see. we do, of course, use uh, water conservation practices. We have everything's on drip tape, you know, drip line. We don't we we have some tanks for the water. We're really thoughtful about how much water we we've used. And when I looked at our uh, water usage recently, because we have a meter, I was surprised uh, at actually how little it had been and how low mm-hmm. the cost is. So mm-hmm. um, I'm proud of I'm proud of Guillermo and how he's really being frugal and careful with the water. And well, it isn't easy. No, and it isn't easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can imagine it's not very easy. Um, let's see. Uh, I wanted to get to uh, some of these larger larger questions. Um, so when you use the term food security, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, let's see. Well, food security is traditionally described as um, food that's available um, through different access points, and but it includes, uh, the definition includes both the physical availability, the economic uh, accessibility to the food, and it also includes the, you know, as far as food preference. So it's a, it's a complex and I think realistic definition of, 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 of uh, the ways in which, you know, some of us have easier access to food um, than, than others. Um, we... Uh, that definition is one that we, I would, I like, I'd like to think that we embody that definition. We, we think about our, our project as being a, an, a very clearly defined access point for the very people who don't have um, access to organic, freshly harvested, um, uh, culturally preferred food anywhere else. Um, we're a unique prog- project in that way, and um, and we don't we believe that it that we don't have to be the only one, um, and and we hope that we are well, especially in in the near future, that we can begin to partner to be able to explore what what ways um, different or or other partners that are committed to food access and food security and food justice can increase the access points um, for, for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, let, let's Great. take a break for a second, and we'll come back and talk some more about that, okay? Uh, you're listening to Sustainability Now on KSQD 90.7 FM and ksqd.org, streaming on the Internet. Over to you, Emily. you've been surfing the web looking for local news, music, and entertainment from the real Surf City, well, you've found it. We're KSQD Santa Cruz. Online at ksqd.org on your radio dial at 90.7 FM. It's K-Squid, the sound of Santa Cruz. I love my girl, but oh, you squid. Santa Cruz. This is Ralph Nader. Start your week off right by listening to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour every Monday morning at 9 a.m. right here on KSQD. Every week we bring you the guests that don't get the exposure and the issues that don't get discussed nearly enough on commercial radio. That's every Monday morning, 9 a.m. right here on KSQD. And back to sustainability now. 
Hi, this is Ronnie Lipschitz. You're listening to Sustainability Now. My guests today are Anna Rasmussen and Mireya Gomez-Contreras, who are co-directors of Esperanza Community Farms in Pajaro. We've we're just been talking about food security, and um, I wanted to ask what kinds of food insecurity your, your family, member families experience. And, and I actually also, are they... Are they mostly farm workers, or uh, do they have other forms of types of employment? Yeah, our members are um, approximately 60 to 65 percent farm worker families. Um, others work in retail, some work in education. Um, and, yeah, I mean, your question is a good one. I actually think this is a good opportunity to describe kind of a, a, a typical um, family a member of our of our CSA project, and um, you know, for the most part, our families are um, families with with adults and children. Um, I'd say about a third of our families also include in their de- in their kind of definition of family grandparents, and um, li- living in Pajaro Valley, and they're. They're low income by, you know, any standard that we could look at right now, and um, you know, Anna spoke to the to this earlier. But in terms of the ways that our members experience food security, first and foremost, it's, an, it's from the economic perspective. Um, the the dollar hamburger that that Anna described earlier obviously is an easier thing to access than a um, even a small bag of organic produce that will cook you up you know, soup for, you know, it's a one-meal soup for all the family. So from the economic perspective, that's um, the first place that our members um, face food insecurity. On the other, uh, or another way that they experience food insecurity, and and I'll include myself in this one, is we have have corner stores where we can buy produce, but uh, it isn't organic, um, and oftentimes um, we're... Uh, either far from uh, stores where we can buy produce, um, and when when we are able to access the produce in, in bigger, and I'm talking about Pajaro Valley, but in bigger food markets, um, you know the the price is uh, we spend we spend definitely more than a third of our income on food, and it, it doesn't it doesn't always last us the entire month or the entire two weeks between paychecks. Mm-hmm. So th- those are some ways that food insecurity is clear and, and visible. I also wanted to say something of a, a, a very memorable uh, experience or conversation I had with uh, some of the community garden members I worked with. And um, um, one woman just telling me that they couldn't uh, buy, have organic, but they understood why they would want organic by because they work in fields where pesticides are a regular part of the process. She talked to me about when in her early days of working in the field, she came home with burning arms and wrists and rashes until someone told her um, what was happening. And the way the person told her was, that's how you get cancer. And she still had to work in the fields and she still is working in the fields. So I just almost got it. Well, I got a chill when I heard that of thinking, I have personally been pretty dedicated to eating organic food as much as I can for the last 35 years. And I do not have. She has an understanding of what organic and pesticide different the differences are that I will never understand because I haven't had the pesticides on my skin. I don't have to think. I go home and have to take my clothes off at the doorstep or in the you know in the entry so my kids don't get exposed to pesticides. Uh, so many people we're working with have really direct experience of not organic, and they want organic, but it's really hard to get. Yeah, you know, again, the, the only, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, the only thing I wanted to add was that really, the I guess for me, the simple way to describe food insecurity is that we're in survival mode around food, We meaning that we eat to fill our bellies. And, um, and, I, and again, I, I include myself in that um, partly because um, I live in Pajaro Valley and I've uh, come from a from a um, farm worker family myself, and um, um, I think that we have limited access 
to information and knowledge about healthy, nutritious, organic food, which makes it hard to make informed decisions, or if not hard, impossible. Um, and and I guess very much related to that, when there are kids in the family, which is which is the case in, with most of our members, it isn't a lot. It, it isn't. Um, it is an, an easy thing for me to think about that the message that our young our children are, and youth are getting is that food is to fill our belly. You know, if that's the message, then uh, the cycle, we perpetuate the cycle right there. Yeah. Um, I, there's a certain irony and perverseness uh, in, <laughs> in the fact that the, the farm workers are working with, with food that gets sent off to other parts of the country. Uh, you know, and and can't access it basically. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, and, and that right. and that gets, I guess, to the larger question of we we, we rose this, raised this earlier, Maria, the uh, the idea of system changing, and I'm sort of wondering what do you you know what do you envision that change as being? You also you also talked about uh, I think building more you know partnerships in the in the South County, and so I'm sort of wondering what's you know what's your vision. Uh, in terms of changing the system with the things that you can do? Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. I, um, well, as you, as you can probably already tell, I think both Anna and I are very passionate and dedicated to community agriculture and, and, yeah. and, and doing yeah. it in a sustainable way. And we talk, we, we talk about our vision very often. I think that um, it, our vision definitely changes um, or adjusts the time, you know, in under COVID, it, it looks one way, but we know that beyond COVID, there's absolutely no way that we can transform our agricultural systems without the very people that right now are, are our members. So that's, I think that's first and foremost. I think that the, the distribution of power and influence that our members who, who are, like you just said, farm workers themselves, um, the distribution of power in terms of influence and decision-making, they, they must be at the table. And the kinds of solutions that are going to make the difference and transform our systems um, are also solutions that, that are going to come from or that are going to be greatly influenced by, by people like our members. Um, otherwise, uh, it, it's status quo. And, uh, of course, that's gotten us, uh, you know, I think... It definitely has changed uh, the arena somewhat, but uh, on the other hand, I, I'd say that it that it actually has exasperated the disparities um, between rich and poor, between those who have access and not. My vision is uh, also includes a very local or locally based movement um, and a very intentional movement uh, that includes education, that includes collaboration. That includes a, a, an open and honest conversation about racial equity, um, and that, that that includes an understanding uh, about how we got here after many, many, many hundreds, probably of years. It, we there's no way that the uh, the problems in in our in our agri, you know in agriculture uh, just just to say very generally is exist in isolation from others. From other problems um, like like unemployment or underemployment, um, like uh, you know, like public safety or or um, um, housing problems, uh, that is definitely part of the vision that we have. That when I speak about partnerships, the partnership is going to be not just with food advocates and champions and leaders, uh, you know, not not just with others who who are committed to food justice, but they've got to be with people who are championing um, equitable housing. They've got to be with agencies and organizations and, and who are championing and working very much on the front lines of um, uh, increased wages and better employment for all. Because when, when, when we think about and follow your t our typical member who is um, food insecure, food insecurity is not just um, having a store near our house where we can buy affordable or organic food. It has also to do with having a, a job that pays well enough to be able to uh, to pay for organic, healthy food. And it has to do with having the, the kind of um, 
time and space in our life to to manage our mental and emotional stress so that we can uh, continually learn about and, and be informed about making the decisions that will lead to, um, you know, health and well-being for our family and for our community ultimately. So that is a big long-term vision, and uh, we know that what we do on the ground every month and every year has something to do with that vision. And, um, uh, you know, right now under COVID, I think we're in a different set of, um, uh, a different timeline and a different kind of microscope, I'd say. But uh, that's, that's, the kind, that's the vision that, that we have for, for our future. Well, let me push, push you a bit on that because, because you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about uh, one of the basic elements we would imagine of, of food security is essentially control of, of the land on which food is grown, right? Um, ownership or possession. And that, of course, gets into the whole question of who owns the land and, and what it is being used for. Um, you know, the, the land you're, you're farming is, is the property of the, uh, the land trust, right? So it's deliberately kept out of development. But the value of land is so high in California that it's, it's hard to imagine how community farming and some, you know, visionary way uh, can happen without expropriation of land. You know, what do you think about that? How do you respond to that? I'm being sort of troublesome here. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this is the kind of question that really challenges us to be better and to realize our vision. So not troublesome at all. I, I'd say, like I said before, these are the kind of brilliant questions we need to be talking about often. Um, uh, not too long ago, about a month ago, I was harvesting at 7.30 in the morning. We start from, we started 7 a.m. on Mondays and Thursdays to deliver that same afternoon. And I, and I, and I was looking over, um, o- over the hills, and I, and I thought to myself, if every family in Tahoe Valley was connected to a doctor and a therapist and a farmer, Wow. And I mean, you know, when I got, when that thought came into my mind, it, it is maybe um, definitely out of the box. Um, but it, to me, what it, what it reminded me of or, or, or think that the thing that it highlighted for me was um, that the relationship and information is key to uh, beginning to make the shift. Uh, the shift from independence to collaboration, um, uh, the shift from from, from uh, isolation to community, uh, um, and we, in my mind, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Even in even speaking, kind of in uh, in, in decades, that the land gets redistributed. I mean, gosh, if it if it does, mm-hmm. whew. Um, you know, uh, of course, I'd be the first one to say how happy I would be. But um, it does take a movement to, to create that kind of change. And in order to build a movement, we've got to really um, build strong relationships. I think that in this particular case, you spoke to a list that you were forming or want to form of the uh, different organic, maybe smaller-sized farms and farmers that exist around Pajaro Valley, what what would it look like if all of our families were connected to one farmer and, 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 and got to know that farmer and knew them by first name and got to visit that farm and took their kids to that farm and their kids got to run and play and harvest uh, and smell the organic food and taste the organic food and they knew how it grew uh, you know, and, and they volunteered to uh, to prep the land. Or, I mean, that's the kind of community and the kind of um, connection to each other and connection to the land that we need. Um, that's only part of what it might, what it will take to realize the vision. But um, that would be my kind of partial answer to your question. I think Anna has more to add. Let's let's hold uh, off on that for a minute, okay, Anna? Okay. Because I, okay. I have to take a break. Um, okay. And uh, folks. After the break, we're going to be taking calls and online inquiries. So I'll say this again. If you have a question 
you'd like to raise with our, our guests today. Uh, the phone number is 831-900-5773, or you can email your questions to onair, O-N-A-I-R, at ksqd.org. And you are listening to KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz and ksqd.org streaming on the Internet. Over to you, Emily. Join KSQD tonight at 6 p.m. for our monthly program, Reflections on Buddhism. Each program features a conversation between Patrick McGinn and the Venerable Tenzin, a local Buddhist nun and teacher. This month's topic is environmental activism and Buddhism. Join us for a look at how a spiritual life can include engagement on worldly issues. That's Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. on 90.7 FM, K-Squid. Many voices, one station. Now, back to Sustainability Now. Uh, hi, everyone. This is Ronnie Lipschitz. My guests today on Sustainability Now are uh, Mireya Mireya Gomez Contreras, I know, but <laughs> and Anna Rasmussen, they're co-directors of Esperanza Community Farms in, in Pajaro Valley. We're going to be taking uh, calls and questions. Uh, you can phone in at 831-900-5773 or email onair, O-N-A-I-R, at ksqd.org. So, Anna, you were about to say something. Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to add on to um, Mireya's uh, vision, and I, I first want to say I am so blessed and happy to get to work with Mireya, who's got so much heart and compassion and courage, and you know she's she's never going to give up on working for you know real equity in in a community, and um, I'm just it's it's a real honor to work with her and hear learn from her, and I wanted to also say just about the land. One thing we learned over the years with the community gardens was um, about land access because it is so expensive. I don't know what the acre per acre rate is in Pajaro Valley, but it's pretty high. So we started community gardens on church property that had you know big amount of land they weren't using, and then we started four that way. We started one in the fairgrounds. We started three on um, school land, Pajaro Valley Unified School District land, one on city land. So when, after we realized that private land for the Esperanza Community Farms didn't work very well, it wasn't very, it didn't continue, we couldn't count on it, we we were looking at where, where would it be more of a public land situation, and that's how we came to the land trust. So I think in the interim, or that that kind of land is the place that, that a program like ours can grow, um, because it's part of the public good, it's part of the common good, and... Right. Uh, and and so we're really grateful to the land trust for offering us this beautiful piece of land for hardly hardly anything. They've been very uh, understanding of what we're doing and making a generous uh, use of it for us. I wanted to add a comment to something Maria said. She said uh, every family should have access to a doctor, a social worker, and a farmer. And and I thought, well, every family should have its own. Uh, doctor, social worker, and farmer, you know, from amongst its members. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and, right? And, and then the other thing is, yeah, the, the private land is a problem, but there's so much unused land around, right? Vacant lots and, and yeah. you know, yeah. backyards and things like that. It would be really interesting to try and set up a program, or maybe this can be part of your, you know, your outreach that would help people you know, to to do those kinds of to start farming in those kinds of kinds of places, you know, to get access. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've thought about that. And and the other thing, of course, is to develop a network of small farms and gardens around the county, mm -hmm. which would also be a, a great thing to have. And which, as far as I can tell, doesn't exist in, uh, mm -hmm. in on the central coast. Um, I'd agree with you and say that this uh, movement that we hope builds some momentum in the next few years, has we've got to employ a multi-pronged approach to realize a collective vision. This is our vision, right? But what's yeah, the vision yeah. of Second Harvest Food Bank? What's the vision of Land Trust? What's the vision of, you know, Mesa um, Verde Gardens? What's the vision of Pajar Valley Health Trust? Uh, so in that way, yeah, it's going to be a lot of hands on deck. And, you know, I think relationships and people connect connected 
can move mountains and will, gosh, I won't get to see it, but eventually move land ownership. I don't know. It pays to be somewhat more optimistic, right? Esperanza means hope, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, absolutely, (laughs) it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Emily, have we we had any calls or questions? Not yet, Ronnie. Ah, yes. That that raises the question, of course, of who listens. Um, Right. Right. I wanted to, I wanted to add a couple of, maybe, um, well, a couple of, of of experiences I've had. I do have sure. the the pleasure and the joy of going out and delivering the bags to the, you know, one by one. We call it farm to doorstep, you know, instead of farm to table or farm yeah, to fork, yeah. farm to doorstep. And um, many times, uh, kids are the ones answering the door, or they're answering the door along with an adult. I get to see lots of kids and talk to them and. Um, a couple of ones that have been really fun for me this last, well, there, a couple of weeks ago, one boy said, he said, he said, I'm going to call you vegetable. So when he sees me, he just calls me vegetable, which is <laughs> just hilarious. I, I really like that. <laughs> like, that's a good yeah. association. Another yeah. boy, I, uh, he asked me, do you have carrots? I really like carrots. I just, he, I rang the doorbell. He was there just like, do you have carrots? And I said, yes, we pulled them out. He ran off with the carrots. Another kid was, um, vegetables, 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 as soon as we came to the door. And his grandma said, he loves vegetables. And I was like, wow. So it's really uh, inspiring. We've had some uh, parents from the from the last season say that their kids would note on their own without being asked, wow, this smells better. I've had kids at the door say, oh, well, they've been. It's like it smells really good. And, they, and to notice that, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much I even notice when I pick up something at the farmer's market. Do I think about how that lettuce smells or something but kids are really noticing that and saying it out and i'm really excited by that and other kids parents have reported their kids asking for produce in a way they didn't ever ask for it before so i feel like that's sort of like the pure test the kids Mm -hmm. don't know it's organic or not organic but they know it tastes better and it smells good and that's just very um well that's just very heartwarming actually it's just beautiful uh, I, 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 we're almost, we're, well, we're, we're getting close to the end of the show. I'm still hoping someone will call. Um, but, you know, something that occurred to me uh, when we were talking was this issue of, uh, the issue of racism, and particularly racism in the agricultural system. And I'm, I'm wondering if you might be able to say something about that. Yeah, well, that's definitely another, re- I, I think, very related issue that we try to tackle um, uh, internally, when one thing that is um, the reason I'm heart committed and head committed and gut committed to this work with Esperanza is that we're building the kind of vision and future um, uh, on on just on our team, right? Internally, that we that we hope to see in the in, in the broader community, meaning we. Uh, we, we have conversations on our team about race and racial inequity, and we talk about the white supremacy cultural values that we want to um, stop practicing, right? And, and we want to learn how to practice the alternatives to that, uh, and we do. And we are fully we are a fully bilingual uh, staff team, and um, I think that there's no way of getting around. Um, all of the ways in which racial inequities impact the way that, that each of us shows up in our in our work. Um, Anna is a white ally who, um, you know, she gave me props earlier, but there's absolutely no way that I could show up even onto this radio show and speak with a kind of confidence about my experience and my my skill and knowledge if I didn't if I wasn't sitting next to her. I mean, I think we complement mm-hmm. each other really well. And and even on mm-hmm. that note, Ronnie. Um, I hope, um, I believe that, that Anna and I, through this project, are modeling an alternative way to address racial inequities. Mm-hmm. How do we show up for each other across race? How do we talk about it openly and honestly and be vulnerable about it? And how do we talk about race as it, as, as, a, as it relates to, in this case, agriculture and farming um, and access to food and food insecurity? Um, you know, that, that's just a never-ending conversation right there. But, that, but to, to us, that is where it starts. It starts right at home. Well, okay, so one last question. What can our listeners do to support Esperanza Community Farms? Um, well, we always appreciate um, 
donations, um, financial donations. We're we're an extremely lean uh, group, a lean budget. Um, uh, um, we have a website, uh, esperanzacommunityfarms.org, where you can find out all the information about how to donate, or you can email us at info at esperanzacommunityfarms.org. Uh, our phone number is on the website, but 831 588 we um, we have a few sustaining donors. We get a few grants. We got uh, a pretty uh, a, a good uh, seed money from the Central California Alliance for Health to do this partnership with the county clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, spreading the word, I think, is good. Um, coming out for a visit, you have to ask us. You know, we could set up a time. Um, I would like to let people know that because of um, the coronavirus, we we were at the in uh, we had planned uh, early in the year to have 70 members, 70 member families, and have in-person programming for children that we called "Play with Your Food." They were art classes <laughs> using food um, with uh, with a, an art teacher from the arts council, and then we also had cooking club uh, gatherings of parents, sometimes with the nutritionist, sometimes just the parents together talking about food, looking at what's in the box, healthy food, learning about you know, oh different components like fiber and this and that, you know, how you could use the, the produce. And then Corona came along and we had to just stop those we, before we even started them. We didn't, didn't get to do it. So we sat down the day after we learned that it was going to close down and that um, Esperanza was considered an essential service and we could, you know, we're feeding people. And we decided to increase our membership by 50%. So we went mm-hmm. from 70 members to 105 members. Uh-huh. And, um, and it has cost us more than we actually have, <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah. you know, our bank about running out. But we we feel proud of that, and we're dedicated to it. And still, it's been quite a stretch. So we could use any support someone wanted to share. <laughs> do, do you have any volunteer opportunities, or is that ruled out right now? No, no, no. We rely, and actually, I wanted to make sure to give a shout out to our very many probably two dozen volunteers that have come through for us this season without who we wouldn't be able to, you know, get all of our bags to our 105 member families. Um, we do have some volunteer opportunities on the administrative end, on the kind of bagging of our produce end. We have shifts available for harvesting. Uh, we make sure to do it all in kind of in accordance with the COVID related um guidelines. So that's important. And I I have to add that I wouldn't be uh, a good co-director or team player, I guess better said, if I didn't say that we we are looking for a tractor (laughs) and the implements to go with it. We, um, our farmer, our farmer Guillermo, who I hope is listening, um, would wag his finger at me. So anyway, there's Uh definitely lots of ways to show up for Esperanza, to show up for for equity in agriculture and to show up for Pajaro Valley, for sure. Okay, so you heard it here. They need a tractor. Well, listen, I <laughs> want to thank you, Maria and Anna, for being on Sustainability Now, um, for being my guests. You can well, thank learn... you so much for having us and giving us this generous amount of time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It. You're welcome. So you can learn more about Esperanza uh, online at esperanzacommunityfarms.org. And if you go to the website of the Sustainable Systems Research Foundation, there's also information about sustainable agriculture. So on the next show in two weeks, join me for a conversation about indigenous environmental justice and philosophy. My guest will be Dina Gilio Whitaker, lecturer in American Indian Studies at Cal State San Marcos. She is also affiliated with the Institute for Women Surfers, which is very intriguing, and is author of As Long as Grass Grows, the Indigenous Fight for Environmental Justice from Colonization to Standing Rock. Uh, That's Sunday, October 4th, 5 to 6 p.m., right here on KSQD 90.7 FM and ksqt.org on the Internet. And as a reminder, for those of you who get up with the sun, which, as I always note, is rising later and later, the show is rebroadcast from 6 to 7 a.m. on Tuesday mornings, and you can find previous shows at ksqd.org backslash sustainability now. Thanks to Emily Dunham for today's excellent engineering and everyone else at the station who makes this show possible. So until next every other Sunday, sustainability now.
by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow, gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground, inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rains come tumbling down. Oh. 